I had a uh, another headliner from LA telling us openers. He's like, you know, we'd be back there. You're a constant critique of your set. And you'd be like, oh man, I didn't do as well as I thought I would. Blah, blah, blah. He said, guys, you always did a good set. Don't ever let the audience not think that you didn't do your best, even when you didn't do your best. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is, what we feel inside doesn't necessarily look as bad as what the audience saw. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I believe in the power of story, and I know you do too, because you're listening. So whether it's personal connections or it's telling a story from a stage or getting people to laugh or getting people to sing along with your story, story is what connects us. And it's what separates us from all other life on earth. What other creature tells stories like we do? Not one of them. And today, you're going to hear from a fantastic storyteller, a personal friend of mine, and somebody who is making it in the world of comedy. But before we get to that, just a reminder that everything you need is at thestorytellersnetwork.com. Past episodes with other storytellers with full of tons of information, lessons I've learned from storytellers, uh, even resources to help you better tell your story. It's all at thestorytellersnetwork.com. Now, today's guest is an entertainment storyteller. Of course, that's the season that we're in, so that makes sense, right? Rich Prang is a stand-up comic in Phoenix, Arizona, and he's just starting off in his career, but he's already opening up for headliners. He's making connections around the world. In fact, somebody that he opened for is now on a well-known television show that you'll hear mentioned uh, in our conversation. So pretty cool, and it's fun to see him go <clears throat> from when I knew him way back in the day because Rich is also a, an award-winning photojournalist, and that's how I know him. We actually worked together at a TV news station back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, years and years ago, and it's been fun to watch his story unfold to where he's now performing his comedy on these stages. Absolutely incredible to have this conversation. I hope you enjoyed as well. So let's get to those stories. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Rich Prang, the comedian, the man, the myth, the legend. Welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if uh, myth is uh, or legend is there, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, I was always told I'm a legend in my own mind. Uh, yeah, so, there you go. I mean, that works. Well, my um, dog thinks I'm a legend. <laughs> ah, there you go. So, hey, man, uh, I was excited to, to get this time with you today. Uh, I, I want to start with asking, though, kind of maybe what seems like an obvious question. Uh, do you consider yourself a storyteller with everything that you do? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, uh, the job that I do, I do a lot of storytelling. Yeah. And uh, comedy, I've been doing some storytelling, but I wanted to start developing that more. Because uh, a lot of stand-ups who do storytelling talk more about their personal life and stuff like that. And, some, you know, sometimes I don't think my life is that exciting to perform 
So I'm, I'm working on it, but I, I do a lot of fun stuff, you know. So storytelling is a part of comedy then, yeah? Yes, it has to be in certain aspects because it's about relating. Uh, oftentimes it's about relating an experience or you could fictionalize uh, a situation based on truth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects to comedy. I mean, it could be observational. But you could decide you're going to turn an observation into a story or to justify your observations and your beliefs, you create a story. Okay. And, and then professionally, uh, as I mentioned in my intro, you are a photojournalist at a new TV news station. So, yes. so storytelling is a big part of news then too? It's a huge part. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you have the stories that uh, – just the straight facts is, is what you need. And, and you'll have less storytelling with that. A lot of what I do is either general information type stories, you know, maybe a medical story or, or uh, advocates or advocate type story. But I also do a lot of features. And I do a lot of features on people. It could be um, what they're doing that's uh, remarkable or of interest, or I'll do um, a feature on maybe them overcoming something. And uh, just recently I did a story about a um, a father who surprised his son, who he had just spent a year uh, in Afghanistan, hadn't seen his son in a year for 11 months. He and his wife been talking back and forth via email or or phone and uh, they planned out where he would surprise his son when he came back so it's just uh, different types of storytelling and uh, I have to say uh, I kind of hate you a little bit for that story because I watched it and as with all of those man hits me right in the right in the throat Um, that was the goalie one right yes yeah here's dad you know, the kid goes out to, to take shots on a goalie and he's a, a young little hockey player and all of a sudden dad pulls out the helmet and there he is. And man, and as he, of course he's mic'd up as he yeah. hits them and grabs him and hugs him, the kid's just crying. I was like, oh, <laughs> I just can't. Um, so well done. How did, oh, thank how, you. Thank you. Yeah. How, so, so in like news, even if it's just facts, if it's a factual facts yeah. only story, I mean, as a photojournalist, it's a how big of a part is that when it comes to telling that story? I mean, video on TV seems like it has to be a big deal, I think. <laughs> well, you know, with uh, video, you've got to your, your part, you basically the general thing about video is the basic part is you're taking the viewer there instead of just saying what's going on. You're taking them there. Yeah. And you're almost giving the viewer a, um, a perspective they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm. So if it's a, a weather story, it's hot outside, show me how hot it is. Take me there. Mm-hmm. Or if you're uh, doing a story that's for viewers on the other side of the country, show me what this perspective is where I'm at now. If it's a wildfire, show me the wildfire. Mm 
mm. or show me the damage that it's caused. That's just a visual part. And you look for elements within that, um, smoldering branches, ashes, um, air tankers going overhead, different elements to, that while it's telling a story, it's more of documenting and bringing the viewer there. And as part of those elements, I mean, how, how much does sound play a part then too? Sound is huge. Mm -hmm. um, sound is, you want to get the, the people that are involved in the story or in the uh, situation. Mm -hmm. So if it's a wildfire you're covering, we try to get people who've been evacuated. Mm -hmm. You know, not to give them more of a hard time, but more like, How'd you find out that you had to evacuate? Or what was the area looking like just before you had to throw everything in the car and take off? Mm. Tell us your perspective. And that's really what it is. We never force it, but we asked them, tell us your perspective of what you just went through. Well, and I think we all kind of want to tell our story. I mean, not everybody wants to do it, but we all kind of want to tell our story. So you're giving them an yeah. opportunity. So. And that's just interviews. I mean, then also like, well, you know, back from my time, nat sound, natural sound. Natural you know, sound's a huge part. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how do you kind of manage all those elements? Are you always thinking in like four different parts of your brain of like quotes and interviews and then nat sound and video and then whatever? I mean, how does that work for you? Well, I always look for natural sound if I can get it. Um, sometimes it doesn't it's not as easy because, uh, you know, when you're shooting is so far away and you can't get closer. Try what you can. But sometimes um, natural sound is you can also use from, like, for instance, the story we were talking about earlier with the dad surprising his son. Well, that's natural sound. Put the microphone on the father before this all went down. And all I do is just roll on natural sound, the mm -hmm. crying, the I'm home. That, while it almost seems like an interview, it's not. It's, that was the natural sound. So it can be just as powerful. Yeah. But yeah, it does get tough, you know, trying to decipher. But it's, it's extreme gathering. And then you come back and decide what works best in what order. Um, but sometimes as you get more experience, with the interview sound, which can also be natural, um, you just know what you've got and what you need. And when you say uh, experience, you've been doing this for a while. How many years have you been in, in news now? Oh, God, it's scary to think. <laughs> Dude, it's been over 20 plus years now. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's hard to believe that so much, so much time has flown. Yeah. And just but like, it's all about career, um, getting experience, but always liked um, learning new stuff, learning new techniques along the way. And it just helps you grow as a, not only as a um, photographer, but also as a person. Absolutely. You start to realize, okay, what's, what's more important, you know, and uh, it helps you, uh, it helps you evolve. Yeah. Um, and what, I want to get back to the entertainment stuff here in just a minute, the, the comedy sure. stuff, but this is really interesting to me because of our time together um, yeah. when I work together and everything else. And just the fact that like video news is so huge still, even though maybe 
live TV ratings aren't what they used to be because we stream. Like it's still there, man. And social is, is huge. So when you're describing like that father that surprises son or other stories like that, we used to call them photo packs, uh, right. photographer package, right? How do you approach a photo pack? I mean, cause so I'm going to say this, I, I imagine like, I imagine most days photojournalists, they're working with a reporter and it's a good partnership, but there's also probably a little bit of like my story versus my story. Maybe kind of, I remember that. That's fine. But with a photo pack, like, man, it's all yours. Yeah. So I got to imagine photo packs are probably a lot of times really cool projects. Um, how do you approach a photo pack like that? Like what's your, what's your method? Well, to be honest with you, I don't do photo packs that much anymore. I, um, what I am is uh, what we call, a, a, what our company calls a, a multimedia journalist or multi-skill journalist. Now, that's a little bit more narcissist of a title that I would like, <laughs> but basically it's I work by myself 90% of the time. Okay which I used to work with a reporter, but now I work 90% by myself, which is uh, a blessing, uh, but it's also a lot of hard work. It's a blessing because I get to do it my way. And um, so while I don't do as many photo packs anymore, what I tend to do is shorter tracks shorter uh, scripts for the reporter or whoever voices it to use because I want the video and the sound to engage the audience more mm. and pull them in. If I do too many words, then it's kind of like we're not hearing it. Pardon the phrase, the horse's mouth. Yeah. You know, we're hearing it from the reporter. And my philosophy is always don't make it about you not that a reporter would, but make it about them because we're focusing on them. But I want to uh, back up a little bit. When you were saying about how uh, TV has kind of changed over the years, now we're live streaming stuff. Now we're putting things on social media. The cool thing about social media is it's changed the stories, types of stories that we put on air nowadays. How's that? that is back when you and I were working together, um, there wasn't as much of an emphasis on feature stories as there is today. And the reason being is because in the old days, we didn't have social media. Now we do, and those stories get pushed on social media, then it takes off. Then it's showing managers and, and producers that, oh, wait a minute, these people are interested in these stories. And I felt as we started getting into social media, more and more of those stories start being assigned because it's like, oh, wait, we can put it on something that actually gives us strong numbers that we can see, and it takes off. It becomes yeah. viral, it becomes, that's why those stories with the military families coming home and surprising the family do so well on social media because it's emotion. It's, it's simple. It hits you right in the heart. And in a way, social media and online has changed the way that 
certain news stories or cover which weren't before. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective, Rich, because I, I hear so many people talk about, I mean, I mean, social media isn't inherently evil or great. It's just a tool. It's a tool. But it seems like everybody kind of complains about social media distracting us. Uh, the, the crap rises to the top, so to speak, right? The junk. But what I hear you say, Rich, though, is that it's actually brought about the idea that we want good stories. And so we get we do. good stories. It does. I mean, that you know, puppy videos, kitten videos, blooper videos. Mm-hmm. We, as much as the crap we see on social media, I think there's still double the stuff that makes us laugh. The stuff that makes us say, oh, well, that was funny. Check this out. You hand it to your neighbor or your friend that's with you. You got to check this video out. Mm -hmm. When you think of it, I mean, how much of us take that more extreme crap, you know, that's negative, that we actually say, take a look at this. Look what I found. Mm -hmm. I think you find more people passing the good news stuff onto their friends and relatives than you see the other crap. Mm-hmm. I think the other crap is just people for a moment feeling good about themselves that they hit share. They had nothing to do with that story, but they feel like I'm in some kind of power trip right. when we hit share and tell the world about what I think is not going right. But I think you find more people sharing the good stuff than you don't than the other. Yeah. And I think that's good. I mean, I think we should share. We need, we need, we need both. We need to share the good stuff. So you, you said uh, things that make you laugh. So let's get back to some comedy. Uh, right. So, so I'm going to go back to how big of a part does story play in comedy in general? Is it a huge part or is it just one of the tools? It's a huge part, but it's one of the tools. I mean, um, one thing about storytelling, or one about storytelling is it's engaging the audience. Because since we were little kids, we've had storybooks read to us. Um, we've had people tell their stories when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know. Or, hey, I was out at the lake the other day and I, called a wh- I caught a whopper. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's always, it could be a short story. It could be a long story. It could be, there's some kind of relatability to it. Or again, back when I was a kid, you know, it's really, you're taking me back to a time. Mm -hmm. When you take somebody back to a time, it's engaging. It's really all about engaging the audience, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, whether it's total fiction or total, uh, 100% 100% accuracy. It's about engaging the audience. It's sometimes it's relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the other day, my wife, she came home with all this stuff, and I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like so many husbands can relate to that. Yeah. So when did you discover your desire to do stand-up, to take this storytelling thing that, that you know about and turn it into a stand-up, you know, career hopefully someday but what you're doing right now well you know uh back in our day when you and i worked together you, you probably remember how i was uh 
always joking around. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had a sense of humor. Um, and I always thought about stand-up comedy, but it was never anything that presented itself. And then a few years ago, we used to have a show where we highlighted people, places, and things in town. So I was looking, and, and I thought, I wonder if there is a stand-up class where people can learn how to do stand-up here in the Phoenix area. Lo and behold, I found one, did a story on it. But as I was uh, doing the story on it, I was watching, and I was like, I could do that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mean like I could do it like <laughs> I'm better than those people or, hey, I could really do well in this. No, it was like this particular class was supporting. It wasn't, it's like bring what you got you think is funny. We'll help you develop it. It was very positive. And I'm like, that looks like fun. And I decided to sign up for the class a year and a half later. Time <laughs> flies on me. And uh, I enjoyed it. And then this class, this club, every three months, they would do a student showcase. Mm. We invited all your friends and family to come. And it was a very supportive class or uh, audience, but they paid. So it was like a, a real um, stage time. Nice. It wasn't like a piano recital when you were a kid. <laughs> It was like legitimately they paid to come and see you perform and you bring it. Of course, they're a little more supportive. They're not going to heckle you. And um, I don't know. My dad might heckle me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they heckle you later. Yeah, right. And then uh, I did really well. You know, I had to toot my own horn, but I did really well. And one of my um, friends who showed up to the show told me even the people sitting at their table were like, this guy's legit. So he told me that, you know, that boosted my ego. Yeah. So the next time I performed and it went back down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I had a lot of fun. It was just like, wow, there is no greater high than to make a whole room laugh. And I tell you what, man, you're walking on clouds. Yeah. So I just kept trying to do it and do it and get better and better and Six, seven years later, I'm still doing it and just working on getting better. It's, it's an art form that doesn't necessarily just, or at least in my case, stop. Yeah. It's not like you reach a point and you're there. It's, it's constant developing, finding your style. Um, I've talked to um, headliners who, perform, who travel the country and they'll tell me, they're like, I flew in early to Scottsdale and I had six hours before showtime. I spent that six hours trying, working on new jokes and reshaping some of the jokes I already have. It's just a constant work in progress. So when you described it earlier about going down, when you bomb a room, uh, if, that, if there's no greater high than when you get a room to laugh, what do you do when the room just looks at you and goes, uh, that ain't funny? Well, you do not take it personally. Hmm. It's just part of the growth process. The tough parts are the ones where um, you know it's funny. 
it people have been laughing at it for the past whatever shows and all of a sudden it doesn't hit that's the hardest part because you're all of a sudden if you're inexperienced you're like whoa what just happened why didn't they laugh at it what did i do not and you're thinking of all this while you're still on stage right so it's it's jarring so as you get more experience you either what i do is i find a, i have a collection of responses to that you know it could be well the voices in my head thought it was funny <laughs> you know or well my mom thought it was funny or i'm like well you know the last audience thought it was hilarious you know or it could be a so or all right don't ever do that one again <laughs> yeah. you know you just and then that's you know it's like a, a comeback punch where people will laugh they're like oh okay we don't have to feel uncomfortable about not laughing it's almost like uh in tv breaking that fourth wall yeah you kind of acknowledge something and then move on and, and you know a lot of times we have to test new materials or test a new thing that we uh changed on that particular show and if it doesn't hit then you're like okay going back to the old way of, i way i told that show because obviously it's not working but sometimes it's just that audience yeah you know how do you keep all that straight like if you've been crafting a joke and you think about one way you told it you told it different differently at a different night how do you remember which way you told it where to go is that just all in your head well, a lot of people will record their shows on their phones. Mm. Like they, they'll hit record, put their phones in their pocket, and they're literally recording while they're doing their set. Mm. That's too much for me to work with. Like <laughs> I'd be fumbling on the phone, putting it in there, knowing me the phone would start glowing through the pocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I, and that's, I just try to remember. And, you know, there's some even jokes that are like, I don't know why they work but they work and every 90 percent of the time people just go nuts because they didn't expect it and i still don't know why it works maybe i created a, a stereotype image that all of a sudden caught them yeah but uh you know it's it's tough it's it but it, it's an art form and it's sometimes it's hard to predict why things happen why things don't so I had this like picture in my mind of sitting down and, and for viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm, I'm taking notes as we're talking. So I picture you taking a notebook and writing out jokes and then memorizing them in order to like do it. Is, is that at all how it works or like, where do you keep uh, it? To a certain extent it does. Like, uh, by the way, you have good penmanship. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't handwrite because my handwriting for some reason doesn't keep up with uh, what my mind's thinking. Yeah, no kidding. So I do more, uh, I'll type it, which is uh, a little faster for me. Now what I'm thinking of doing is doing recording, which would be like uh, dictated later. Yeah. I just ramble on onto a recording and then think, okay, this works, this works, this doesn't. But yeah, uh, for most, comedians unless they're uh crowd working or or freestyling i guess you could call it most of it's scripted 
you have to learn once you got it, then you have to sell it. And sell it means perform it. Mm-hmm. And what the performing really is, is your delivery. Delivery of we're having a conversation. You know, none of this is scripted. It's just a conversation. And that's why a lot of times people get surprised and they'll approach me. They're like, oh, I watched Jim Gaffigan or so-and-so on video. And then I went to his show and it was exactly the same thing what I saw on video. Well, it's because it's scripted. It's the same set, just like, you know, a music act. It's, they're not just going off the top of their head. Um, It's a song they wrote how many years ago that they developed and they're singing the same song that you heard on the radio. It's, It's the same thing, but just like the musician on stage or the rock star and the comedian, when you're live, you have to engage the audience. It's not go up there and recite. It's engage. And as a comedian, sometimes it's talking to the audience a little. I do it a little bit, nothing sophisticated. If I go into um, a bit related to dating, you know, I'll be like, I'll look at the front row and I'll say, hey, you guys look like a good couple of you guys dating? And they'll be like, Yes, or no, we're married. I'm like, okay, all right. So how'd you guys meet? Do the old-fashioned way or the new way? They'll be like, oh, the the new way. Oh, so online. Okay, I get it. So you didn't do the old way where, the old-fashioned way where you hit her on the top of the head with your mallet and dragged her to the cave with your hair or something like that. Uh And then they laugh, and it's just kind of the two extremes of the caveman way and the online dating. Yeah. You know, and I'll say something like, hey, you know what? You know, I'm doing the online dating Craigslist. <laughs> it's free. And then I just launch into it. So when you engage the audience, one headliner I worked with said, when, you know, when the audience is uh, kind of dead or, or low energy, what do you do? He says, crowd work. Start talking to the audience members. And what that does. Again, just like video, just like the written word, it's in part of the engagement. Like reaching out to you to pull you in. Yeah, that makes sense. And you just yeah. mentioned you just mentioned a headliner that you asked something. Uh, how big is the community, and how supportive is the community of comics? Do you have a lot of mentors? Are the people willing to actually give back? A lot of uh, headliners are willing to give back a little bit. Um, they don't do it any there are workshops that you can take mm. um but there's a lot of times it's it's a tip mm. it's uh you know i was hosting a show once and one uh, comedian afterwards after I, I introduced the first act came up to me backstage he goes hey just want you to know you're a comedian too like really I, i'm like yeah okay what do you mean says, when you go up there and you introduce the first act, just say, I'm re- you ready for your next comic? Don't say, are you ready for your opener, your first comic? You just did a setup there. You're a comedian. Just say, are you ready for your next act? I'm like, all right, well, yeah, that's more, that's a transition. Mm-hmm. You know, he's also an author, so 
He's big on words and transitions. I had a, uh, another headliner from LA telling us openers, he's like, you know, we'd be back there, you're a constant critique of your set. And you'd be like, oh man, I didn't do as well as I thought I would, blah, blah, blah. He said, guys, you always did a good set. Don't ever let the audience not think that you didn't do your best, even when you didn't do your best. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is, what we feel inside doesn't necessarily look as bad as what the audience saw. We're in two different frames of mind. And uh, it may not have looked as bad as you feel it. So yeah, it's, it's more like tips here and there over the years. And uh, you know, they, some, you know, they, they want nothing to do with you, but most of them, they'll answer some of your questions. Just don't, you know, be an overeager beaver. <laughs> Give them a little bit of space, and when they seem open, talk to them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you said, too, uh, talking about, like, rock star versus comedians, you know, uh, I could write a song and go play it for the next 20 years, you know, Aerosmith. Um, but if I tell the same joke for 20 years, I feel like it's not going to get as much play. How, how often do you have to come up with new material compared to, like, songwriters? Oh, uh, that's a good question because um... – there are, let me put it this way, everybody's different. When you, how can I answer this? Um, when you, like for me, I'm always trying to look for different jokes, but I can't put them all in the same set. So I'm, I'm usually an opener, which means uh, fortunately at this club I usually play at, I get uh, around 10 minutes, which is a good, solid set. You go to, you know, the Hollywood Improv or the big clubs in, in LA area, and the big names there are all on the same set, they get 10 minutes. So 10 minutes is a lot of time for an opener, which I appreciate, but it's still 10 minutes. And you always want to have your strongest stuff in there. So you're taking a gamble when you pull one out, put in a new joke or a new joke that still isn't tried and true yet. So for me, it just gets boring if I'm going to constantly do the same jokes all the time. But I do have some jokes that are always in my set because they always work. Mm. And it, it happens sometimes where... I'll have people in the audience laughing at my punch line before I've even hit the punch. Yeah. And, um, or I'll have, um, so they just know where it's, it's coming. They've seen me perform. They're like, <laughs> this is coming, you know? And at first I used to acknowledge it. I'm like, all right, so we know the punch line's coming. People would laugh, but then I just, as my experience has come, it's just leave them hanging. Here's the punch. Yeah. So, like, it's funny because you, the way you describe it is kind of like having a greatest hits album that you do every time, but then you slip in an extra one or two. Um, so, so if you can only do, you know, uh, you, the way you said it was, I can't fit every joke into every set. Do you have right. kind of like almost like different albums, different sets that you try out here and there, um, like themes almost? 
oh, here and there, if it, if it has a theme that I think I can fit into a particular bit that has a certain theme, like dating, you know, I'm constantly thinking of new dating jokes right now. So I'm like, okay, if I try this, can I fit it into this dating one? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got one I'm working on right now. You know, women don't really care about how fancy of a car you've got because I've never impressed a woman with my Mazda 3. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a giggle. It's a, it's a strong enough joke to fit into a repertoire that I have of dating. Now, if I had a 20-minute set, then yeah, I could fit that in. It's like it's either a soft joke or what they call an applause break, which is funny, but it's not going to get the big laughs. Mm-hmm. But it still works because you don't want to over-energize the crowd because mm-hmm. they might miss something. It's a lot like being a producer. You're stacking the shows with different stories, mm-hmm. and the whole set still has to have a flow. It's the same thing with stand-up comedy. You're set unless you're, um, unless you're like uh, Mitch Hedberg, who just pulls different jokes out. They don't have necessarily the bits have a transition necessarily between each one. He's a genius, by the way. Mm-hmm. But with a lot of us, it's like, okay, why are we going from this to all of a sudden? this you were talking about cows and now you're talking about dating and relationship how is there a transition or how is there a ramp up or ramp down to that so so, so it kind of sounds like and then, so I'm, I'm a big music fan so i think about concerts and yeah you, you know you can't have if you're a, a rock band you probably can't have all of your fastest songs throughout the entire set you got to have a a beer song right where everybody goes oh, i'm just gonna, gonna i'm not gonna go get beer during this song or whatever right so it sounds kind of like the same thing like as you're crafting a longer set you need some lulls so the audience can catch their breath um do you know those jokes going in ahead of time if you're doing one of those well i would i would call it a lull as it is is kind of just a it's kind of like a wavelength you know yeah yeah i can't speak totally to that because i don't usually do a long set but sometimes my observations with uh, headliners i've opened for is they'll do uh after the energy has been way up been up here to a certain extent they'll bring it down a little bit kind of like uh philosophies observations some comedians or headliners i've worked with will do uh social commentary and I'm not talking about social commentary in the sense of uh, political or politicizing. I stand on this side. It could be more of like, you know what? I'm glad you guys are li- laughing because we live in this really negative time and stuff like this. I think we all just need, you know, they, they'll do that. Like, let's keep it positive. Okay. And then they'll bring it back up to the high energy. Yeah. Sometimes if you bring it too much, it's they'll miss jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every comedian is is different in how they handle it. 
And then you've got the ones that are kind of more laid back and they don't bring the energy up here. They don't let it down um, much. They just kind of stay at this level. Sometimes it works. Sometimes not so much. Yeah. I but, picture. you know, you brought up the rock star thing. And um, a lot of my performance is inspired or influenced by um, rock stars. You know, I used to read, like, uh, Bruce Dickinson of uh, Iron Maiden, and, and they, would, they would ask him, how do you get the whole audience, you know, 20,000 people, engage and he's like because i try to sing to the last person in the last row mm. if they can feel me and i know i've got everybody else in between and in a way that's what i do a lot of times when you see me perform i don't just zero on the people i see in front of me i try to see the silhouettes in the back row so it's kind of the same thing yeah and because, I mean, it really is a performance, so it's not just reading from the phone book. Like, you're actually yeah. a star in a way, so that's awesome, dude. Well, thank you for calling me a star, but I think that's a little early yet. <laughs> <laughs> or at least live in the persona, right? That's right. So My who's... dog thinks I'm a star. <laughs> uh, the birds don't? No? The bird is kind of like, I've heard that joke already. <laughs> Let's do something else. Right. Um. So who's someone that you look up to in, in comedy? That's a, uh, that's, um, I don't know if it's a, I look up to him as I'm inspired or in awe, I guess. Um, you know, I really like Jim Gaffigan. He and I have a, a, we don't have the same style, but we have a little bit of the same, um, we don't have the exact same style but we got a little bit of the same thoughts going on. Kind of like, well, this is weird, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Brian Regan is just phenomenal, but man, he keeps taking all my ideas before I think of them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate people like that? Man, come oh on. Oh my God. Let I'm me have the idea. That one. <laughs> no, it is like, you know, I, I've spent a lot of times in hospitals in my life, so I'm like, I should do a story about pain threshold. And I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of this. A lot of <laughs> air quotes. I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyways, pain threshold. You know, when they say, on a rate of zero to 10, where is your pain? 10 being the highest. But I should do something like that. And then I'll turn on Brian Regan, and he has a whole bit on him. Like, oh. Darn it. <laughs> But um, but a lot of the people I'm in awe of are the ones that I meet in person and that I can learn something from. And uh, one is a friend of mine. Her name's Lisa Landry. And I've taken her workshop. We're still in touch off and on. And, but she blew me away once because I saw her perform on stage, you know, this... She, uh, she's shorter than me, I think. Yes, I'm short. She's shorter, but the way she grabs an audience, the whole room, the way she gets up on stage, she doesn't just walk up on stage and, okay, well, here's my first joke. Or, hello, everybody. 
she takes that stage like she's going to own it. Mm. This is mine, and I'm going to make all you laugh. And when I first saw that, I was like, that's how I got to do it. That's how I got to do it. So I started wearing a mini skirt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Growing my hair long. Hey, you know. No, um, I just thought, I've got to take, that's the confidence. Mm. Again, engaging an audience is come up there with confidence. And my friends and I have talked about it in the backstage. And we're like, it's almost like you got to go up there and say, I'm going to tell you some jokes. And I don't care if you think it's funny or not. And it's almost like that you're exuding the confidence. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not overthinking. Mm. And that's a lot like what a rock star does up on stage. We're Aerosmith. We're whoever. And, and these are my songs. And you're going to like it, darn it. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. It has to be such a, an incredible feeling. I mean, you said it earlier. Like to have a whole room laugh at your jokes has got to get you just on cloud nine. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, sometimes, though, depending on what your jokes are, people will even approach you about the joke afterwards. You know, they'll, uh, they'll ask me about my closing joke, which is about my, which is based loosely on the true story is when my previous dog, uh, Abby, almost died. And I had to spend, like, literally, truth be told, spent 3,000 bucks to save her life. And it wasn't until about close to a year after that I thought about that and how I felt when I was under pressure to have to spend 3,000 bucks all of a sudden. And I'm like, what if I had a girlfriend in that room and all of a sudden you saw her true colors come out? Like 3,000 bucks? Oh, hell no. We're not spending that money on your dog. And then, um, long story short, I ended up putting, making a tough decision and I put her down. The girlfriend, not the dog. <laughs> and now that's not the whole bit. I gave away the punchline there a little bit, but that was based on a true story. You know, I have people say, oh, that was, that was so good to end. And they're like, I'm like, you know, it's, it's based on a true story. And they'll be like, look, yeah, really? And then we'll talk about dogs. Yeah. Share stories about their dog and my dog. <laughs> having that. to go through that. It's all about and I remember I did a show once, quite a fundraiser at a, at a hospital. And before I got to the punch, I put it, you know, I made a tough decision and I put it down. Before I hit that punch, I had women in the audience going, oh, no, you didn't. And blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, she didn't. You know, like they were ready to strangle this mythological, fake, fictionalized woman. <laughs> oh, and uh, then I hit the punch and they just, whoa, it was like a relief for them. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. And that's master storytelling right there. I mean, getting, like, you know what? That is storytelling. Yep. Getting to buy in and that release of, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Where, so, so you look up to those, those comedians, big and small, 
it sounds like there's just a huge community of standups out there, whether they're headliners and like, I'll be honest, I, I haven't heard of them. You know, I mean, I know, I know Jim Gaffigan, you know, you mentioned Mitch earlier. I know, I know some of the, I like quite a few, but like, those are like the NFL star players. You're, you're talking about people that are career standups making a living at it. And this sounds like there's a huge community of those out there. How big is that world of standups? There, there's a huge community and there's all types. There's, um, there's headliners that, very few people know about, but they're able to play every weekend somewhere in the country. Hmm. They work their butts off. Um, and, and they're trying to, you know, they're working to entertain, of course, get their name out there. Sometimes they connect with a certain market where each time they come back to that market, the crowd gets a little bit bigger because somebody's heard of them. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the music industry, you know, there's so many great bands that nobody's heard of until they go and hear, hear them. Right. And it's uh, local music. And it's, you're, you're fighting that, uh, that whole idea of, well, if I haven't heard them on the radio, then they're probably not that good mentality. But no, there there are, because mm -hmm. they're not on the radio or you see them on TV. That's why I always encourage people, go to your local comedy club to have a night of feeling good and getting some laughs in there. You're not going to pay a lot of money to see somebody perform. I mean, on average, you probably pay maybe 10 bucks cover just to see an act play or somebody you've never heard of. And a lot of times you're going to see two or three more acts you've never heard of before who are just playing the game and getting better and better, but they're still entertaining. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's tons of us who have day jobs. I mean, I'm not touring the country. I'm not at that level. And at that level, you've got to throw everything into it. I mean, you can't let up. You're constantly going and trying to make it work and convincing bookers that you're worthy of putting them on this, putting you on the stage. And, and you know, that's also another thing too, is a lot of comics go to LA and it's not because you're going to get paid better and do better in LA. It's because you're closer to the agents. You're closer to the auditions for TV and movies mm. because if you can get that one part on a TV show, even if it's small, all of a sudden the, the, the bigger audience is going to say, I thought they were funny. And look, they're performing in Scottsdale. Let's go check them out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that one spark. Doesn't mean that they're better than necessarily better than all these other comics who are, constantly on the road and constantly trying to make a name for themselves. It, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> it's just that they got that one opportunity with a bigger spotlight on them and bam, now they can pull into uh, get better gigs and, and whatnot. There's a, 
a woman on America's Got Talent right now, the current season. I've opened up for her twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her name is uh, Jackie Fabulous. Nice lady. Um, I opened up for her twice, and she was working it just like every other headliner. And then, boom, she uh, made the auditions for America's Got Talent. And if she gets, she's already, her whole set was already put on, four-minute set. Now she can use that to parlay it to get bigger gigs. And people are going to say, oh, I remember when she was on America's Got Talent. Let's go oh. check her out. So it sounds like there's more opportunities now. Like, it's not just you have to get on Carson. Like, there's... Right. Oh, and of course, that dates me. I mean, that goes way back. Um, well, but, it's tough to get on Carson now. <laughs> right, right. Or, or uh, yeah. Or Letterman. Uh, Letterman. But, yeah, I mean, it's not like you have to get on, you know, Fallon and Kimmel anymore necessarily. It's, you know, America's Got Talent. It's other shows or other circuits. So, interesting. Yeah. And there's a, and even the, the Fallons and the uh, um, Conan. You know, Conan sometimes will bring on up-and-coming comics. Mm-hmm and uh, give them an opportunity um so it's it's always it's always seeking opportunities and then seizing on those opportunities and hoping for the best so when it comes to being that storyteller it's not just telling the story it's the the business of it too then huh show business right yeah yeah, yeah. how hard you is know, that there's all kinds of storytelling or stand up there's singing yeah. you know there's poetry yeah, yeah. In fact, we had a, a poet on this season, uh, Ebony Stewart. So um, how hard is it to reconcile between being that artist, that storyteller, and having to get into the business side of it? Is that two, two, different, two different mindsets? Uh, yeah, I mean, the business side of it is just uh, it's show business, you know, just trying to make friends and network and then mm. having to uh, convince a booker you're worthy of being on. I'm sorry to say, and I've heard horror stories that there are, you know, like it can be a business and sometimes it can be, I don't want to say a dirty business, but sometimes some people, it's just, you're dealing with um, not so attractive side of the business a lot of times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that. I mean, bottom line is with a lot of these clubs, and I can honestly say I'm not at that point yet with this because, you know, I also have a career. So that makes it tough to really launch into it and not to say that I feel like I'm at that point yet. But, um, you know, there, there's some people that treat you really well in the business. And there's some that uh, don't treat you so well in the business. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of that's just stuff that I hear on the road. Or I hear from other comments. Yeah. Yeah. There's a seedy side to every business. It seems like so. Yeah. Or it's just has been a lot of fun, man. I'm so glad you made time for this. I'm going to get to my last question here in a second that I'm, I'm going to uh, mess with you a little bit on. Um, but I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to connect with you. I'm going to put links in the show notes, but where do you send people to connect with uh, rich praying comedy? Well, um, I don't really have a uh, website yet. I do have a Facebook page that I'm going to start um, rebuilding again. Cool. But, um, 
Yeah, so it's just early in the uh, early in the business for me right now. That's, so that's the the Facebook uh, rich funny haha, yeah. Yeah, rich brain comedy. All right, we'll link and to that for sure. Uh, Story developing. And when I started, just like everybody else that starts out in this business, I see the newer ones. Is people get you get excited? Ooh, I'm a comedian now, and and then you create this uh, fan page, and then you realize. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I put it up. I, I really, because the idea is also you don't want to put a lot of your material up and nobody will see it. Right. It's like, oh, I've already seen it. Why should I go pay 10 bucks to go see them perform? Right. So I'm going to start redeveloping that. Right on. Got to walk that line. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so it should be more exciting than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if somebody were to say to you tomorrow, Rich, you can no longer be a storyteller, uh, if it's even possible, what would your last story you'd want to have go out on? That's a good question. Like you mean just in general or business-wise? However you want to answer it, my friend. I don't know that I could ever be stop being a storyteller in one form. It's just... Uh, it would just be a change of forum, I guess. I don't think I could ever stop. But I always, from a stand-up side, it's always about making people laugh. And if I can make people laugh, and I don't want to sound Pollyannish here, but I can make good in this world if I can make people laugh. No, I just understand that it's not about me, even though I get a huge high from making people laugh. I also know it's just learn that it, it, if you can make people laugh, chances are they're at the club because they want to laugh. They've had a rough week. They've had a rough day. They can easily go to any type of other club, but they went to a comedy club to laugh because they want that happy feeling to either continue or to come up again and that's that's the thought i have a lot of times when i do stand-up comedy is that i'm trying to make people feel good mm -hmm. cool yeah that'd be a good way to go out, same for sure. way with the, uh, the other type of stories i do for work it's, if i do more features make people feel either get to know this person or feel good after seeing that story then I've done my job. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> it's a worthy, it's a worthy cause, my friend. Well, Rich, it's been fun, man. I appreciate you taking time to tell your story to the audience, man. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And I'm glad we could finally get this to happen. <laughs> me too. All right. Rich Prang there. Once again, thank you so much, Richie. Uh, I appreciate you, Richard. Richie probably shouldn't say that. You're a professional now. Rich, uh, thanks, Rich, for joining me on the Storytellers Network, man. That was a lot of fun. You can connect with Rich at the links in the show notes. Got a couple links there for you to find his comedy. And uh, definitely see him, if you're, especially if you're in the Phoenix area. Go see Rich. Uh, otherwise, keep an eye out for him as he maybe begins to tour the country soon. So there you go. And if you enjoyed the episode and got something out of it, please consider sharing it somewhere. Sharing is caring, and it helps us find more listeners and spread those stories of our guests. So I appreciate that. Social media, text it, email it, just tell somebody. And if you want to share your story with me, go to thestorytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact page, send me an email, and let me know what's on your mind. Hey, until next time, 
Thanks for listening. Here's to telling our stories. And of course, having those stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.